Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Open Mic. Thrilled to have you here with us watching, listening. Hope you're doing well after the Thanksgiving holidays. We have an interesting episode for you today. Mario Bueno, who grew up in Pontiac, Michigan, spent 20 years, almost 20 years in prison for murder. And I've been watching his videos and going through his website today. Fascinating story and background and all the good things he's doing to help Detroiters and Michiganders. Um, I, I thought his story was ripe for this show. And I'm super excited to have Mario Bueno here with us today at Open Mic. So let's bring him on so he can tell you more. You never know who you're going to see. Be one guy one-on-one -on -one my whole career. What you're going to hear. You got a lot of desperate people in the city. Or what they've got to say. When you can take people inside of a crime. That's what you're going to hear on my podcast, Open Mic. Find it where you find your podcasts. Good morning, Mike. I appreciate it. I'm humbled by that introduction. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm thrilled to have you here. I, I, you know, I didn't know much about you, and we got your bio and, and reading through your book and your videos and your inspirational messages. I just think what a fascinating story that our, our, our viewers and listeners would love to hear about. Let me just cover a couple of things uh, in the sake of time. At age 12, you began selling drugs. At age 15, you began robbing drug dealers. At age 16, you were convicted of second-degree murder of a 27-year-old drug dealer. You were kicked out of nine of the 16 Michigan prisons you spent time in for bad behavior. You spent almost three years in the hole, they call it, or in solitary confinement. Uh, you were let out uh, in 2014. Do I have that about right? Yep. January 22nd, uh, 2014 will be a seven-year anniversary. And, and you pled guilty to that murder? No, you actually, you know, had I had I the character to accept responsibility for taking Samuel's life, um, I would have never took his life to begin with. So I, I had two trials. I served uh, 365 days in solitary age 16 in Oakland County Jail fighting uh, felony murder, armed robbery. Got to drop down to open murder. First trial was a hung jury. Six said I was guilty, six said I wasn't. I had an alibi defense. I said I wasn't there. Um, even though I was interrogated many times, uh, they, they charged my older cousin, uh, which was dismissed. They tried, it, they offered me a deal after the hung jury. I could have told on my, my 18 year old cousin or his friend, the 21 year old who supplied the, uh, firearm, but I, I still, you know, um, you know, a hard, a hard he head makes for a soft butt. <laughs> you maintained your innocence and yet you were found guilty in the second trial. Yeah, I was found guilty in the second trial. Uh, they they uh, basically they admitted the jury admitted that they thought I was there. They 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 compromised on second degree murder, um, and and I was given twenty two to forty years. Uh, and 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 honestly, you know, at the time, uh, my you know, I didn't understand what my father said on the phone when I was in prison. I, I, I had made it to general population. I had lost my faith at that time. But he said, "Son." Uh, uh, you, you were saved. You know, God did give you a second chance. And so I was given 22 to 40, which at 16, you know, you can't fathom 12 months or 30 days, let alone 22 to 40 years. So um, hence the the uh, uh, the transitional turbulence, so to speak, for those first 10 years of the first 10 years of my incarceration. I served three years in solitary before 22 and I was kicked out of nine prisons. And I don't say that to impress anyone, but to impress upon them where I came and where I am now, which I'm sure we'll get into. Well, you know, I haven't read, you know, I've just 
spent a couple hours on this morning, but it sounds like you now admit that you were involved in that murder. Oh no, yeah, absolutely. So, so I was convicted of the murder. Um, and then, you know, I went through the appeal process and, and finally it got to a point after about seven years, I said, I'm done. I'm done trying to appeal it. I'm done. I'm not going to try to appeal anymore. It, Cause I had, I had some appealable issues. It was hearsay. There was not much evidence against me. I never admitted to it at the time. Um, and so I, I, I at that time, I, I found some sense of closure by literally sitting down and writing a, a, a couple page letter to the victim, which I sent to the prosecutor um, in Oakland County at the time, uh, a Mark Bilkovic, which I came to meet with him after I came home. But I sent him a letter around seven, eight years, maybe of my incarceration, 10 years, maybe. And I said, uh, could you make sure the victim's family gets this letter? And um, it was it, it was it was a letter accepting responsibility and apologizing and explaining that, you know, had I had that 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 if I had the character to 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 accept responsibility at sixteen and and apologize, then I would have never done it to begin with. You know, I liked the character then. Interesting. And so so at that time I let go of any appeal, and it, and it was it was not only you know what I've learned in our criminal justice system the the, the stumbling block is. Is, is it pits victim and perpetrator against each other in, in, in forever, invariably forever. But not only that, it, it prevents really uh, the offender from truly uh, uh, owning up. And, and, and you can't really move forward unless you accept responsibility. And, and obviously the accountability is, is there. But if you don't truly accept responsibility and, and, and you're constantly looking out the window instead of in the mirror, and then that's why we have an 87% recidivism rate within nine years of, of an offender's release. You know, It's a really interesting um, juxtaposition, what we usually do on the show. I've been interviewing guys who've been incarcerated and, and ended up being innocent, truly innocent. You were incarcerated. It's, it's, uh, it's refreshing to have somebody you know, take the responsibility and said, yeah, I was dumb. <laughs> I was an idiot. At 16 years old, I decided to rob this guy and, and shoot him. Um, and I'll bet you that helped you with the parole board because you got out under your minimum sentence. Well, so I laughed simply because first and foremost, know this, I, I, I forgive myself for what I did, but but I learned it's okay to mourn my victim. So what I, what I do, like me going in here and prepping this uh, juvenile I'm, a, I'm here in Highland Park, juvenile reentry, spectrum juvenile services, servicing juveniles for pre-release, reentry, and post-release. I don't do it for them. Right? I do it for my victims. So I, it's okay to mourn Samuel. And, to, and, and what I do is, is, is to prevent further Samuels. Uh, uh, but why I laughed is because I'd be on the prison yard and, and I would say, yeah, right. Yeah, I'm the only one here guilty, right? Right? Because I, I would never hear anyone say they were guilty. <laughs> Right. Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, uh, I think it's 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 an essential component. Uh, uh, the second, uh, I think, ring in the in, in the in the wheel, so to speak, is is the ability to truly uh, convey to your to your victims how remorseful you are. Right. That restorative. Like right? that's restorative justice. And, 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 and by the grace and the glory of God, not only was I able to convey that, but I actually, uh, you know, would get into but the, the nonprofit that I co-founded, Luck Inc., uh, uh, um, 
where the problem becomes the solution is peer mentors, mentor, you know, leading yeah. the way for other high risk population peer, you know, peer mentoring. We, we got certified and trained in restorative justice. Uh, and my victim took part in that training. Your victim, my victim's girlfriend. One of the, wow. you know, you, you have many victims in, in a crime. If you if you kill someone, you still you probably have a thousand victims, you know, because you killed a little piece of each and every person that loved that person, you know. So all these things you're doing in the books and the training, I'm, we're definitely going to get into. But I'm fascinated by this process of, of 19 plus years in prison. I mean, you're 16 year old in an adult prison. I can't imagine, you know, what that was like, but. Uh, you know, when, when did you, for seven years, you said to, to pen that letter, take us through that process of that realization. And then for the next 13 or so years, are you, you know, what was prison like now that you had admitted it? Were you trying to teach the other prisoners to, you know, come to, come to their truth? I'm very interested in that, that journey. Absolutely. So, so it was a process, you know, I, 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 we got to we got to start with uh, I, I'm literally day four in solitary. I, I, I literally got on my knees and I remembered a 10, 11, 12 year old boy. that used to pray to a God, right, um, to help him, to, to help his family who was hurting at the time. It was a lot of a lot of pain and, and, and a lot of trauma in my family, a lot of pain. Right. Like when, when you say there's violence and anger and this and that's really just a lot of pain, you know. So so I get on my knees in day four. True story. I'm in a I'm in a cell in which there's no windows. Right. I'm facing I'm charged with I, I've been arraigned with felony murder, armed robbery, 16 years old. I was literally in South Beach, Miami the day I got locked up and I, I, I can't I came back and turned turned myself in. I didn't know there was a warrant out already. And then on day four, I get on my knees. And I'm crying and I tell God, I said, if you would have heard me when I was 10, 11, 12, this wouldn't have happened. And I said, I challenge you, if you save me, I'll spend the rest of my life helping men like myself. And so I crawled myself up on the mat, cried. There, you know, it's a dim light. There's no, there's no clock, obviously. So you lose your sense of time in solitary. And, and, and so I, I, I wake up to a loud and I jump and I, and I turn around and it was this old sheriff that was talking to me for the first three days. The first three days they had me out there in, in like a, a fish tank type thing where they could watch me the entire time. And I didn't really know it at the time, but that's just policy. If you anyone charged with such a crime is put on suicide watch, you know, because I mean, who would want to kill themselves? So by day four, they seen that I was stable. And he was, he was an older guy. He was like a grandpa kind of guy that kept on talking to me all day. And, you know, he was nurturing me. He was, he showed a lot of humanity, you know? And, uh, so I, I, I look, I see him walking away and I look on the ground and it was a Bible. Now, mind you, you know, I went to Catholic school, but you know, <laughs> we don't read the Bible. <laughs> that was a joke. So, you know, I, I looked at the Bible and I got, I crawled to my knees, literally. And I looked up to the heavens, literally in a cell. And I said, I take this as confirmation, right? I take this as confirmation. That week, you know, uh, unbeknownst to me, my mom had asked a deacon from, from Prince of Peace Catholic Church by where she lives um, to come and visit me. So they allowed clergy. You know, I, was, I, I wasn't allowed contact visits with my family. The judge ordered that I be placed in, in Oakland County Jail. 
um, even though I had no record, I, you know, I, I, it, it, they should have put me in the juvenile facility it, according to their own policy. But guess what? <laughs> I needed to be broken, literally, and put back together. Right. So it was good that I was put in solitary. Because I didn't have contact visits, I didn't, I didn't have the, I didn't have all that nurturing and soft stuff. It was all hard. It was the, is the, it was the most extreme for, form of confinement that exists in, in, in the United States of America, from, from South Beach, Miami to boom. To was that the worst? Was that the worst year out of the twenty? Yeah, yeah. Mm. that was the worst year. Okay. Anytime you're in a county jail, it's, it's way worse than prison, let alone solitary confinement. And they had to do that because I was a juvenile that was automatically waived as an adult. However, I hadn't been convicted and sentenced yet. So they had to protect, it was for my protection. Even though I was begging them to please put me in a 10 man bullpen so I could use the phone and take a shower. Instead of, they would, they, they didn't have time. They'd take me out of the, out of my cell every couple of days for a phone call and a shower. You know what I'm saying? So it was extreme conditions for a 16 year old. And, and, and questionably whether it was humane. I mean, obviously it's not humane for, for a person, but it's, it, you, you, we should question our practices. So anyways, it was in that space, right? My uncle Johnny, he was a city councilman of Pontiac at the time. And his best friend was uh, Captain Jones, who's like the sheriff of probably Royal Oak or something. I don't know. Uh, this is like 25 years later, right? But what he allowed was for my uncle to come in and visit me and contact in, my, in the attorney booth and my uncle would bring me big bags of uh, uh, college books that my dad was saying. So I, at 16, I was in there being trained by a deacon every Saturday on the story of Job, back to the deacon. He comes in that week and hands me a book and says, I'm going to give you a reading assignment and every Saturday I'm going to come and we're going to talk about Job and, 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 and Job's suffering. And so, and I'm reading college textbooks and studying and I'm committing, and I had a transformation of heart. I read the Bible, that Bible that I was throwing on the ground, I read it three times in solitary. In 365 days, I read it three times. Hmm. And, and I would cry because I, I didn't know these concepts. Like, blessed is he who stands and not in the way of sinners, right? Like, I didn't, like, so I would be crying and saying, well, why didn't you tell me this before? Hmm. You know? And so what I didn't understand was that that my heart had been transformed, but yet my giftings and my skill set haven't manifested yet. And and so God did make good on his promise. So 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 I, I stopped when I got found guilty, I stopped praying for anything specific. I was scared to my faith, I didn't lose my faith. I was angry. I was angry because I knew I deserved it, but I was angry because I, I thought God abandoned me again and I and I knew I had a change of heart. My my heart was transformed in that year, literally. And, and but guess what? There's an old saying that even though Jesus might be in your heart, your granddaddy's in your bones, <laughs> right? <That's laughs> so like, what that means is a few years to really have it sink in. It sounds like. Well, well, you know, I was saved from the streets, but the streets were still inside me. Mm -hmm. I was I was removed from the street, but the street was still inside me. So so, but guess what? That's exactly what saved me, though. Do, do, do you understand what I'm saying? So, so, so the anger and the skill set and the aggression and the violence that I had that, 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 that led me and landed me in prison is exactly the skills that, that, that saved me and allowed me to excel in a hyper-aggressive sociopathic environment. There, you know, 
there's a video that was recently released about uh, some research done by by a professor, and, and, and he said that juveniles that are placed in, I, I, I'm a published McNair scholar, and I'm not trying to brag to you, but the thesis that I did is titled uh, um, uh, Adolescents, uh, 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 Adolescents Convicted and, and, and Housed with Adult Offenders, the Consequences and Implications Thereof, right? So, so what we did, what I did was I measured, you know, juvenile offenders that were housed with adults and then, and then seeing how they responded to the world around them out at once, once, you know, post-release. And, and so, and so, so, so what this professor said in his video was, was that juveniles that are housed with adult offenders, and the environment is very hard to describe, right? Is very hard to describe. You you go you go on tours. I've, there's plenty of tours, but these tours are are like dog and dog and pony shows. You know that, right? Like you go on a prison tour, it's a dog and pony show, right? Like I don't care if the inspector general's coming in. Like you already we already know three weeks in advance because guess who's cleaning everything and getting everything prepped? Like we all know. Like if a convict knows, you know, what I'm saying you know, everybody knows. Sure. So anyways, so so what he said was. Was that in order for a juvenile, a youthful offender to survive an adult correctional facility? That's what we call them today, right? They have to become conscious sociopaths mm. in order to survive. It, it, it meaning, like, in order to save their soul, so to speak, right? Like, like you have to be able, you have to be able to 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 meet the level of violence and aggression, and then take it a couple notches up. Wow. But be conscious all the while. So the question is, well, how'd you do that, Mario? I did. It was my family that did it. Like, like my mother that that said I would like literally when I was being fingerprinted, and, and my mom was taking my necklace off me at Pontiac Police Station. Now it's you know the Pontiac Police don't don't exist in the Oakland County Sheriff Station, but it was the Pontiac Police Station. They let her come back there with my attorney Jerome Sabota. Real good dude, man. Real good dude. And, and he um. And she's taking the necklace off, and and, and literally, it, it was it was it was like, it was it was a, a, like a a, a really a deep moment. While she's taking my beaded necklace off, the the silver cross on it just falls, and I'm literally being fingerprinted at the same time. And all you hear is ding ding, and all all these beads fall everywhere, right? And she whispers, she's crying profusely. Like, understand something. My mom, she had challenges, and man, look, I have a four and a half year old. <laughs> Let me tell you, you stop judging your own parents once you have a kid, right? But one thing for sure, she was always there for me. So she whispered in my ear, she says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Like my mom would visit me wherever I went. My father, my father, you know, he, he said, I won't pay for your attorney, son, because uh, I don't believe in what you did. Because I was honest with them, you know, I, I conveyed to them. I was always honest with them, no matter how ugly the truth was, uh -huh. you know, because I had lost respect for my parents at an early age. And, and that's a dangerous thing. It's a dangerous thing. So 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 they visited me the whole time, which prevented me from losing my own hum humanity. I had the stick and the carrot. And the problem is that all we do is give these people the stick. You know, we don't realize what we're actually conditioning, shaping, forming and creating. 
in these docile bodies that 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 are, are in hyper aggressive environments that 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 come home to 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 not to to lack of a good shelter and food and transportation and honestly a meaningful opportunity and employment. So it, so you know it was it was it was that that really that really maintained my 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 sense of self that I was able to protect myself but not lose myself. You know. Fascinating. So, so, wow. I mean, there, there's so much here. There's so much to unpack. I mean, you, you know, I, I mean, 20 years in, you, 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 you've got, you're in, I mean, you, you're talking about your, your thesis in college and you co-founded Luck Inc. You're an author of two books, Reform, Memoir of a Juvenile Killer. And uh, the fourth book that you showed me earlier, Never oh, Going yeah, Back. Never Going Back. Never, never Going, going Back. back. Which we're going to yeah, talk about. Informed guy for successful reentry. I, I wrote it during this this pandemic. You know, I it was sitting on my laptop for a couple of years, and, and and I'll be honest with you, I, I I I finally got to it, and I put everything I wish I would have known before I came home. You know, everything I wish I would have known, and so I was literally, I was literally telling my wife, who who who, you know. Being an author, boy, look, let me tell you something. The ones closest to you would be your biggest critics, right? So I would tell my wife that I was going to cut grass at like 8 to $10 an hour because I couldn't get it. With all due respect, I have an accounting degree from Wayne State. I'm finishing my master's degree at University of Michigan. Like I've been appointed by the House of Representatives. I've been appointed by the city of Detroit. I started a nonprofit which brought in four government contracts and I hired a team of 12 men to, to, to perform re-entry, prisoner re-entry in, in, in the most violent city in, in America right now. And, and I can't get a job as an Uber driver or Costco or Taco Bell, period. So right now, like there's 2,400 parolees in, in Detroit at any, at any given point in time and 75% are unemployed. There's 8,400 probationers, felony probationers in the city of Detroit at any point in time with 45% unemployed. Think about that, right? So I couldn't get a job, man. I, I resigned from the city of Detroit because I remember why I was here, you know? And, and, and so I couldn't, you know, I, I, I jumped. I jumped with no net. I jumped with no net because, because with all due respect, I'm not a, I'm not a, a leader. I'm a shepherd. Well, I don't know if I agree with I don't know if I agree with that. If you're if you're start, starting your own organization and writing two books and hiring people, are these parolees that you? Uh, these are people with records that you hire. No, the, the the guy. Well, first of all, I'm a co-founder. It's Rick Speck, Cameron Coates, and myself. But then there's a couple other guys that Lucy Barra, uh, uh, Brian Jones. We were the team at Jackson Prison. So there, there were we were called the Peacemakers. That, that Governor Snyder shut the whole prison down to come and meet us because he wanted to know how was it 30 prisoners were, were, were teaching peace and, 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 and how to resolve conflict pro-socially to a 15, 1,600-man prison yard for free. Like, this is what... I, so, so I wasn't let go early. I was given my good time back that I lost from being kicked out of nine prisons because I was teaching three classes of 17 to 25 year old violent offenders how to resolve internal, right, and invariably external conflict. You know, there's a there's an old African proverb that says, "When there exists no enemy within, 
the enemy outside can do you no harm. Hmm. And so that's what my process was. When, I, when we were talking earlier, you were saying, well, how, you know, were you teaching guys inside? So it was a process of becoming. So I stopped praying for a release. When I got convicted and gave him all those years, the only thing I prayed for was wisdom and understanding and, and strength. Every day I cried and begged God basically for that. I became angry, but I kept reading profusely. Like I, like, like my dad paid for me to get an associate's degree through Ohio University's uh, correspondence program for the incarcerated, even in prison. If you don't got money, you're gonna, it's gonna be highly challenged. And even if you don't have an education, with my associate's degree, I would they put me at the uh, top of the list <clears throat> uh, as far as uh, the highest paying jobs, just in prison. So I was becoming that constantly. And so, for example, in 2007, it was actually the prison. That was the uh, time when I wrote the letter to my victim. I, the the uh, uh, special activities director at that prison, Riverside Correctional Facility, asked that myself and uh, a mentor of mine, Antonio Esprit, uh, um, he was a juvenile lifer. He's home uh, now after serving 35 years. They, she asked that we teach the, the young prison population conflict resolution, right? And we did it effectively. And so one day, you know, the administration and the administrators were walking through and they seen the class. And I mean, you're talking about it. This was back when I was only like 27 years old. I had been in prison about 11 years. And, and, and looking back now, I seen why they were afraid. You know, it's like the old adage, teach a slave anything but to read. It's very dangerous for prisoners to have influence over a lot of prisoners, you know? And so they actually cut the class and they, I, a couple of years later down the line, I went in there to speak to my case manager. She pulled my file out and I seen a letter on the very top and it said, do not allow prisoner to teach other prisoners. Hmm. And this was in 2009, possibly eight, eight or nine. So in 2000, late 2011, late, 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 but like December, around those holidays, I got kicked out of my last prison. And I got to Jackson Cooper Street. Why did you wait? Why did you get kicked out there? Because you were why? Uh, I was uh, selling. I was I was selling tobacco and and doing things that I should. I, I was always fi trying to find a way to make a dollar out of fifteen cent, like Tupac said. Okay. <laughs> you know, I'd rationalize and justify my criminal behavior. But it wasn't violent stuff. It was making money stuff. Oh yeah, no, no, I was always making money stuff. But making money stuff always brings violence. I, Mind you, I, you know, I, I had, you know, I was, I, I was, I always had the potential to become violent, but I was never a predator and preyed on. So let me, let's, let's, this leads somewhere. And so the criminal mind looks at the drug dealer and the, and the robber and the, like a guy like me as being at the top of the food chain. Right. So I'm walking, this is the criminal mind. That's, this is what, this is what, you know, look, look at all the movies we look at. Now, this isn't even a, this isn't necessarily like. The average person, the layman that just watches movies, they would technically, technically speaking, for the most part, unless until we're about to get in this question in this conversation, they would look at a guy like me as above and beyond morally, if there is such such a word in this, in this, in this little schism that we're putting together. Right? Right? right, I would be morally more. 
I would be higher in terms of uh, my, my ethics and morality than, than a pedophile. Okay. Let's, 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 let's say, generally speaking, in our culture today, if right? we're ranking, if we're ranking the criminal mind, ranking the criminality, right? I agree with you. But see, I don't. Okay. I'm not, I'm not asserting as such. I'm. You're agreeing with me that that that's what the public's eyes, so to speak, or right. social acceptance, right? So. I'm walking the prison yard with a, a buddy of mine. So my book, Reform, Memoir of a Juvenile Killer, I put a stop to the print. I got a contract for the book, but I didn't agree on the title. The original title was Broken, God's Transformative Power Through Pain and Purpose. And hmm. so when I sat down, they wanted me to not only change the title, but take God out of the book. So literally, true story, I, I told the guy at the table, I said, look, man, if you want if you want God, a book without God, I said, you write it. I said, truth is, if God went in this book, you and a couple people at this table will probably be in the trunk right now. And I see how much money he got. I said, for real. So he's like, whoa, whoa, Mario. I'm telling you. I'm, the whole company went bankrupt. But I, I I stopped the print of the book and did all that because it's not my vision. My point is this. In the book, I talk, I detail a pivotal moment in my paradigm shift. So I was at Carson City Crush Facility. This is like 2009, 10. Yeah, about 2009. And I'm and I'm walking the prison yard talking. Uh, I was getting the investors business daily, in the in the in, in, in you know, and, and we were trading stocks. You know, uh, uh, doing you know, I was studying technical analysis. I was talking with a buddy of mine named Dwight uh, Henley. It, he was in the 700 Club. He used to squat 700. Big white guy, but he's the one that that really uh, uh, got influenced me into studying through Ohio University because he was. I still talk to him to this day. He's still locked up. He he got locked up. He got caught with a kilo and a body in the trunk. But I think he got one of them reversed. You know, I don't know the details. You don't ask questions. <laughs> so, anyways, so, interesting friends we have here. All right, like keep going. So, so I'm at so I'm at so I get kicked out of my housing unit because so they come out with a memo saying they're taking all tobacco from the prison uh, over a 12 month period. And it's going to be a step down, you know, kind of like the boiled frog syndrome. You don't notice the gradual increase in temperature, right? <laughs> so, so what do I do? I don't, I don't smoke. So what do I do? I go to the yard and buy all the tobacco in the prison yard. <laughs> I went to all the bookies they, because they got uh, tickets and stuff. And so I bought all the tobacco. It's, it's supply and demand, economics one on one, right? So I, 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 I buy all the tobacco, and, and mind you, six months later, like uh, a, a little dollar fifty. Uh, bugler pouch is now going for like 70 bucks. Wow. Yeah, and I got like hundreds of them. <laughs> so, so I long story short, you know, my naivety, you know, ignorance is bliss. So, you know, the government can do whatever they want. So, the 11th month when tobacco was still legit, they come out with the memo, internal memo that says anyone who's hoarding tobacco confiscated right so of course they <laughs> they seize all my stuff i'm up i'm up front with the war and i'm cuffed he's like mario i listen to your phone calls you sound like you could be potentially a ceo of your own company i i listen to you talk to, to, to people on the phone but you're on the fence so i get kicked out of the housing unit for running poker tables for running i, I would run stores you know you give guy two items he gives you three back i just have money it's finance i mean what, what, what do you want me to do man you know what i'm saying like, I mean, <laughs> so I'm so I'm just making money work for me. So but I would never do violence to get the money from the people. But unfortunately, then they would, you know, write kites on you, tell on you, stuff like that. So they kicked me out the housing unit and I'm walking the prison yard with Dwight. Hemmer. And Dwight says, Mario, 
Now, mind you, at the time, I was just finishing my associates. Literally, I had five classes that I was taking to finish my associate's degree, 60 credits. And um, that's because I remember that because the inspector threatened, because if you get on STG, security threat group, as a gang member, I was never in a gang, but I was very influential. And he was trying to squeeze me for information. He threatened to put me on STG and I would, I would, I would be re <clears throat> disallowed from my classes. And so I would lose, you know, miss out on $3,000. But anyways, he says, Mario... I'm concerned. I'm concerned that if you continue with this way of thinking, now, mind you, this is a guy who's doing natural life. <clears throat> All he does is work out, teach other prisoners like the, uh, 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 like, for example, the stock market and studying and, and, and whatnot. He's just a very positive person. He's made, made a bunch of money for his mother who's helping him and he's taking care of his mom through investments. So he says, I'm concerned that if you continue with this way of behavior, Mario, you become a sociopath. And I started laughing. And I look, he goes, I'm serious, Mario. I said, man, I said, get the F out of here, man. I said, Dwight. I mean, he's a buddy of mine. I said, <laughs> I said, sociopath. I said, for what? For running poker tables, man? He's like, Mario, I'm telling you. He said, Mario, he, he stops me and he puts his hands on my, my shoulders and it's sunny out. I remember this. And he says, Mario, close your eyes. He says, pretend you have a daughter. Now, mind you, I have a four-and-a-half-year-old daughter now. Only child now. But back then, I didn't have a child, obviously. I said, all right. He said, pretend you have a daughter. He says, now you have to make a choice. I said, all right. He said, you have to choose for her to either get raped or killed right now. Right now, you have to choose. What do you choose? So then I, I, literally, I literally take my sunglasses off, and I look at him. I said, I'm a piece of shit, huh? He said, why? I said, because I took any, any opportunity for my victim to recover. He said, now you got it. And it hit me. It was, it was a paradigm shift like no other. It was like, it, like, literally at that moment, I realized like what kind of piece of POS I was, you know? And, and, and I wanted forever to, to prevent that. And it was just another a moment in my life to where, you know, it's your belief systems shape your thinking, but it's all, a, it's, it's cyclical. Like it all goes back. Like, like what you believe in variably. I mean, whether you want to speak like, you know, we're talking theology or we're talking the, the social science, like, like self-fulfilling prophecy, social sciences, invariably what you believe and what you think and what you say, and what you do become, it literally, it's a cycle. And if you can shift the belief system. You can sh you can literally shift the cycle. So Mario, I understand that analogy. I don't understand though, in the context of what you were doing. What what is so what did I understand the analogy? What did what did you change after that realization? Right? Well, what I changed was the way I judged, for example, the the, the sex offenders, and, and and the way I viewed myself. I used to see myself as top of the food chain. And now I see myself at the bottom. Just at in that, that very, moment. Just in that, that moment. At that very moment. At that very moment. You got to realize something. Like, I was very influential in prison. And that's the reason why we'll talk later on. Like, when, when I got to Jackson Prison, they pulled me in that program where I was teaching, seven, you know, Rick Speck, a buddy of mine who I knew 10 years earlier. This guy did 15 years for impersonating a DEA agent and robbing high-level stash houses. 10 years later, 
you know, after I'd helped him when he first came into a state, the state uh, uh, prison, 10 years later, he's the chairman of this organization. He pulls me in to train me and, and to teach other prisoners. But, but at that very moment, literally, literally, I stopped seeing myself at the top of the food chain and I started seeing myself at really what I was. Like, like the wool was removed from my eyes. Like, like, like when you take a life, you take any opportunity for restoration to ever come to. And that's something that I forget. Once again, I forgive myself, but I, but I mourn my victim every day. And that's the reason why I'm across the street right now about to go visit with the juvenile yeah. prison. All right, Mario, I know you're going around to schools and organizations and you're doing motivational speeches that people can find on your website. Uh, Mario expert.com. We're going to have all the links in our show notes and everything like that. People want to, you know, watch more of your stuff and, and get your books. But I'm curious in the, in the last few minutes we have together, what are you doing right now to help Detroiters, Michiganders in, in your organizations? Well, right now I'm actually, um, like I said, I just pulled up to the Lincoln Spectrum Services to try to engage a client uh, pre-release, prep, prep them mentally, emotionally um, for, for what they have to, to expect. I'm also working for the Youth Justice Fund. I'm contracted for them as a community engagement coordinator. They're centered in Washtenaw County and Ypsilanti. What we're doing is servicing juvenile lifers who are returning back in the community. In addition, we are also servicing juveniles adjudicated um, since I've been helping out with this juvenile reentry in Michigan Public Health Institute's uh, contracting. So I'm 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 jug I'm wearing a few a few different hats. Uh, Luck Inc. We're doing the uh, housing right now. We've got two two mentees that we've mentored through through his parole. One one did a four year parole after serving forty three years in prison. Just finished a four year parole. We have a a, a, a multi unit. That's the nonprofit that I had started. Um, uh, just literally servicing them on the we. I'm, I'm meeting guys where there are and, and I'm trying to uh, guide them where they need to be. So, uh, for example, tomorrow morning. I have a, a two. I have two sessions with clients that are being housed in a juvenile facility in Clinton Township, and so with these uh, clients, I actually I'll take each one out uh, individually. They they actually are allowed uh, to go out with me, and I'll take them to eat, and we'll sit and talk, and and we strategize. We 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 first and foremost, you know, uh, see what what they want to do, what, what what their passion is, what their thoughts are. Each client is unique, you know. Mm-hmm. And then, for example, for for example, on the other extreme, I have a, a client who is in his sixties, who served forty three years in prison who we are moving into the luck house in the next week or two. So, I mean, so, the, so it's, it's, it's a spectrum that is extremely wide. Um, it's, it's extremely uh, overwhelming and, and at times disheartening when you see the amount of need and the lack of resources in terms of reentry. We, 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 as a society, we do a lot of, uh, I call it, it's, it's the, the, the front end of the criminal justice system. We, we put a lot of emphasis on the front end. That is the, obviously the investigating, the arresting, the prosecuting and the sentencing and the incarceration. But as far as the back end, when we understand that 95% of all offenders are released 
95%. What that does is it positions us to now have a, a now we're a, now we're a huge stakeholder in the product that our Michigan Department of Corrections is producing. Uh, whether we know it or not, like ignorance is bliss once again. Whether we know it or not, the one who is driving your car off at your uh uh uh, uh if you go wherever Jack's car wash or, or the or the one who is taking uh, putting a ticket in your window when you park at the Tigers game, or, or when you go to the LCA arena to a concert, right? Wait, you have to understand that that what we are doing is throwing a pebble into a pond, and there's a ripple effect. And you can't just you can't just uh, 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 buy your way out of this this criminal justice uh, uh, a dilemma that we have dug ourselves into. We, we, and, and what I mean by that is gated communities, you can't, uh, yeah, you, how long are you going to stay in your gated community, right? Who, who's going crazy over this pandemic, right? Yeah, no, no, we all come out. We all socialize. We, all, we are interconnected. So it's in our best interest as the major stakeholders that are literally creating a product. It's in our best interest to understand what that product is. And that, and that, honestly, the like right now, for example, last night I had government and nonprofit finance five sixty a master's pro class, right? Killing, <laughs> right? But but we talked about efficiency, like now the efficiency ratios, like like what are we getting for our dollar? Like we're spending two point two billion dollars in the for the Michigan Department of Corrections. We're spending one hundred twenty three million on reentry. Not good. You know, it's it's fascinating. I, I love the holistic approach that you take. You know, I've had some friends who've that I've met through Open Mic and that that have been exonerated, as I told you earlier, for crimes that they were convicted of that it didn't commit. And they talk to me about how there's, you know, it's interesting. There's, you know, if you're a parolee, there are some government programs. There are people like you who will come and coach and consult them, and and they talk about housing and jobs. If you're exonerated for a crime you didn't commit. You, you get nothing. There are no benefits. The government will not pay for someone amazing like you to come coach them. Did you know that there was that difference? I, I, not, not only do I know that difference, I know, like, in our plight to, 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 to uh, uh, ban the juvenile life without parole, right, sentences, and our plight to do that was a sit-down conversation. With, with, like I was working for the House of Representatives at the time, but it was it was a sit down conversation with the understanding, and I had to convey to the juveniles that were locked up, we don't want you discharged in the courtroom. We want you to have a, at least a year of parole, or, so you can be eligible for resources. So absolutely, I'm aware of that. Not only that, at this, I, I'm literally in the parking lot at, at at a juvenile facility. It's a prison. I serendipitously, I used to come for free three years ago uh, on Sundays when I was asked by this guy who had a reentry program, which him nor none of his team had had, had ever reentered anything in terms of criminal justice. So it's that's that's one of the dilemmas we have is who who's the service providers you know that that that, that are getting this these these resources and, and and where are they going? But anyways, I used to come to this very prison for free, right? Uh, 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 and 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 I would. I would literally max out my credit card. I was going to uh, Wayne State University at the time. I'd max out my credit card to buy, for example, if I was coming and I knew the, 
the group was 20, it was usually 20 guys. I'd buy uh, 20 thank and grow rich. Or I'd buy 20 as a man thanketh. <clears throat> and that's what I would start my mentees out with. And so literally one of my clients, he, uh, my first client under my transformational training LLC and, and, and services, fee for services for Michigan Public Health Institute, one of my first clients, which is their client, was housed here. And so I was able to mentor him for like three months before he got out, thank God. And, and, and mind you, he got out because they ruled that, at, you know, it was, it was the, uh, it's, it's called the blended sentence. So at 20, at 21, he, uh, um, they released him, but he was locked up since the age of 14 released at 21. They released him. The DHHS worker, the, basically a probation, uh, pro, a parole officer had to sign his documents to release him at the gate, closing his DHHS file. Now, mind you, check this out, Mike. What that does is it negates the opportunity to receive resources from anyone. Interesting. So we got, so, so this is, and, and guess what? This only happens to those with the most serious offenses because all the other offenses get out when they're 19 or 18. But when you got a murder case from at age 13 or 14, or guess what? Like my client had, which was an aggravated uh, sexual assault. At age 14, while he's smoking crack with his older brother and he rapes his older brother's girlfriend. Right? When you got that, when you got that, you're locked up from 14 to 21. So seven years. And because they deem you <clears throat> as not a threat and you should be released, we're going to release you. But guess what? So you, just as fun, my, my, my boss and professor at U of M, Aaron Kinzel, he, he's also executive director at Youth Justice Fund. I'm, I'm contracted there, just a 12-month contract as a contractor. But he literally, when he heard about this, this is when he shifted his, his, the services for Youth Justice Fund for not just juvenile lifers, which Youth Justice Fund was started by Deborah LaBelle, who was the, the lead attorney on the ACLU, who got the juvenile life law, lifer law in Michigan, you know, uh, basically uh, 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 thrown out. And so um, she started this Youth Justice Fund when she's seen the depravity and the lack and the gap of resources for the juvenile lifers that were coming home after 40 something years in prison. With nothing. And then the, the housing that they do have, it's punitive in nature just because you're poor. You know what I'm saying? Like the way they treat you, right? It's, it, it, we, once again, the back end of corrections. We, it, we should be very concerned. We should be very concerned with the fact that, that the conditions of our prisons, are, it, 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 the culture that exists there, it mirrors and parallels that of the streets. Like you have a few, like out of the, the 30, probably they, they say there's like 37 prisons now, but I mean, you turn two prisons into one by firing one, one, the, the entire administration in one prison and you consolidate. That's not like closing a prison. You still got those prisoners, right? <laughs> so yeah, so we got like 37 prisons, right? So, so yeah, uh, th out of those 37 prisons, you probably got maybe two or three that have a culture that is is, is somewhat pro-social. Like the, the staff and the prisoners behave themselves for the most part. But, 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 but by and large, the culture that exists within these housing units, like for example, 
the reason why the reason why we were able to affect so much change at Jackson Cooper Street was because after we I, after I was pulled into this program and trained and, and, and trained in critical thinking, effective communication, servant leadership. Uh, uh, and once I got through all that uh, ethical uh, reasoning, when I got then I got trained and certified as a mediator. Then I got trained as a facilitator. When I started teaching my own cohort of 17 and 25 year olds, you know, the deputy warden called Rick, uh, my buddy Rick and I into his office and said, I'm not getting the numbers I want with these youngsters. And I had just articulated this to Rick just a couple days before that sitting in our cube. It was an eight man cube. You know, they the deputy warden would put high, high, high level 17, 18, 19 year olds in our cube and we would mentor them <clears throat> because you become like the ones you're around the most. Mm -hmm. So. The law of association, right? So we're sitting there and we're talking. I said, man, I said, we're never going to affect change like, like we want to. And he said, why do you say that? And I explained it to him. And so when the deputy warden asked, said that, said, made that statement, he's not getting the numbers he want. I told him this, what I had told Rick a couple days earlier. I said, of course you're not. And he said, why is that? I said, I said, debt. I call him debt. I said, debt. I said, uh, <clears throat> you give them to us for five hours a week in a classroom in the school building. I said, but there's 168 hours in a week. So for 163 hours, they go back into an environment that doesn't respect the rules of engagement that we're trying to teach them. Like they, they learn the theory in the classroom, but going into an environment, it can't have the application. So he's like, well, so what do you need? I said, we need our own housing unit. He said, your own what? I said, our own housing unit. I said, with all due respect, the, the, the housing unit, has, the, the, the program participants in which we teach throughout this whole prison yard, they will be, they will live in this housing unit. We'll have a core member in every uh, queue. I said, and they'll sign a level of expectations. I said, no offense, that are above and beyond that of the Michigan Department of Corrections. I said, once again, no offense. <laughs> and he's just looking at me. And he's looking at me and Rick. He said, it was, it was oh, this black dude, I call him Unk now, you know, he didn't want me there. Rick Rick had to beg him to keep me there when I got there. Because Rick, literally, true story, Rick told him, he says, uh, he said, Deb, I got the perfect guy for our 17 to 25-year-old pilot program. He's, I said, he, he goes, he's perfect. He's got influence. He's bilingual. He's Spanish. He's he, he Look, he's been locked up since he was 16. He's highly educated. He's like, oh, yeah? Oh, yeah, who? He said, Mario Bueno. He said, oh, hell no. <laughs> he said oh hell and literally my file I had, I had two files like this high. he said hell no he goes these are, I had just got there the day before he goes these are his files right here he goes he said tell that mother mother heifer he goes tell him don't even unpack tell him he's not going to be here long and Rick said Depp I'm telling you he says um, I've never asked he goes Depp I've never asked you for anything he said I've been here for three years running this program I've been your block representative I've been doing this I've, he goes I've never asked you for anything I'm asking you give me a shot with him because him and I were good friends 10 years earlier. I hadn't seen him seen him, uh, or heard from him in, in ages because they stopped allowing prisoners from communicating from prison to prison. And so it was from that. So literally, he said, you got it. He said, you got it. And that deputy warden was one of our first board of directors out here because he had retired after 30 years. <clears throat> and he was one of our first board of directors on Luck Inc. So he gave us the housing unit. The guy signed the level of expectations and what, what ensued and what was created and designed was a culture 
that was pro-social. So, so our students not only learn principles, but guess what? It wasn't that there was no fights in here, but instead of being at every other housing unit where everyone's geeking the fight to go out and they're trying to look for police, these men broke the fight up. And then these men had to sit down and talk about how they felt and why they fought. So then we would have grown. And then if a police walked in, we'd stop talking. They weren't allowed because they were confidential. We're certified mediators through Jackson Resolution Center. Wow. So I mean, we, had two, big, we had two grown men, one with a, a black eye, the other with a broken nose, crying, talking about, I thought you didn't like me. I thought you just didn't like me. <laughs> I Listen, Mario, I know you, I don't want you to be late for your appointment. and it, but But let me just tell you, I've never, I've done 70 podcasts. I don't think I've ever let somebody just talk and talk and talk, but your energy and your message and your stories are so damn infectious and good and meaningful and powerful. Like I'm, I'm blown away by you, man. And, and, uh, uh, I, I commend you for, I mean, everything you're doing and everything that you learned in prison and how you're paying it back times a million and I, uh, I I I smell a movie coming out of this for somehow one day with your life story in it and all the people that you're that you're helping and how lucky this kid is that you're going to see right now to coach and mentor to get them back on their feet and your entrepreneur your entrepreneurial spirit and your vision and all the things that you've learned self-taught a lot of them. Yes, you went through college. Yes, you've taken a lot of classes and have mentors. I'm not saying you did this all on your own, but but the wisdom that you've gained, you know, through the 19 plus years in prison and how you're paying it back. I'm just, I'm blown away by you. I'm blown away. I'm, and, humbled. I'm humbled by it. And, 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 and I just want to tell you this, that, you know, I, I, I'm one of those who who literally defines ego as edging God out. And, and in, in my book, I transform the Hebrew translation of God means the source. There has to be a source of everything. Origination, right? There's a source. And literally, literally, I, I'm, one, I'm, I'm one that just is an example of we are designed to succeed, right? That's the message that I bring to these young men. And, and, and when we understand that when we're designed to succeed and we get in tune with ourselves, that we understand that it's relationship with self, the loving of self that allows us to love others, right? Hurt people, hurt others. Okay? Hurt people, hurt people, right? So, so, so literally I, I appreciate that, but I, I, I want to stress that not only was it God, but God utilizing so many components so many different variables, so many different relationships with so many good people, right? That, that I don't, I, I'm not a bit embittered ex-prisoner, right? Uh, uh, mind you, my very transformation came by way of those also working in the prison system. <clears throat> it was the, the dismantling of the us versus them paradigm and belief system that was so dysfunctional through relationships with those that worked in in, in the department of corrections <clears throat> so not only you know uh, was it obviously you know a, a, a drive and a passion for for bettering oneself but i couldn't have did it without the, the 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 numerous individuals that have poured into me so i thank you mike and i thank you and i thank you well listen 
what a what an honor to talk to you. Keep up the good work. If there's anything that I can do for you, you have my contact information out. Please reach out. I'm hoping when this damn COVID stuff's over, we get to meet in person and maybe we'll do another episode or, you know, get our get our people together, our, you know, my new friends and your friends, and we'll get people together and help because, you know, I I I, I this hole that's in our system when people get out for whatever reason, if they're, you know, wrongfully incarcerated or they're, you know, out on parole and, and the services have to be better. They, they have to spend a lot more of that percentage of that, of those billions on, on, you know, rehabilitating people and, and having people like you and people that you train to coach and mentor and teach. I, I can see such a better world for these people um, with the right resources and the right guidance. So, you know, anything I can do, please reach out. Thank you for being on open mic and uh, go do, go, go do the, your God's work, go do God's work with, with where you're sitting in the parking lot right now. And I look forward to talking to you in the future. Yes, yes sir. I will. God bless you and take care. I appreciate it. My pleasure. God bless you. Thank you. Mario Bueno. Fascinating, fascinating podcast. I, I, I wasn't kidding. If you've watched these, listen to these, you know that I usually jump in more and ask more questions, but there was something about the way he talked and the messaging that he delivered that I just wanted to hear him talk. And, and that's, that's good. I try to listen more and talk less. And I, I think I accomplished that in today's episode. So if you find some, if you know somebody who would be moved by this message, please forward them the podcast, comment here. Um, contact Mario in the, in the, uh, in the links below, buy his book, help out where you can. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Subscribe to our podcast, please. And like us and the episode, and we'll see you next time on open mic.